feel free to grab that. If you're here today and you don't have a Bible, you're more than welcome to take that with you home. That can be yours, okay? You know, it's funny, uh, Marcia mentioned uh, getting the look. Well, that same group of pre-K kids included uh, our youngest grandson, Jordy. And between one of the songs, there was just a little bit of a hesitation and I don't know if everybody picked up on it, but I did. He goes, come on. And I said, well, you can tell his dad's a preacher acting like that towards sound people. Uh, you know what? You better be kind to sound people. They can make you non-existent in one click. So we did have a great week. Praise the Lord for it. He even held off the rain, which we did not get one drop hardly until after the, the uh, family night. So it was a lot of fun. And I'm not exaggerating. Cody got dunked at least 100 times. I'm surprised he can stand up straight or walk good today because imagine pulling yourself out of a pool 100 times. So uh, it was a great week. Real proud of our church. Our uh, decorations went to Harrison Street Baptist Church and after their VBS... Brookville Road Baptist Church will get them. So all of the hard work you guys did is just going to be passed along. That's what, that's what cooperation ought to look like. Amen? And we're grateful for that. Proverbs chapter 15, you know, is written by Solomon, King Solomon, son of David. He could have had anything, and he prayed for wisdom. So God gave him wisdom, and then he gave him everything. And in the midst of the wisdom, we find uh, these books, this book of Proverbs, these chapters of wise sayings that really are just good for life. No matter where you are, no matter what age you are, they're just good principles for living. And here's what we're going to look at this morning, that tone matters. Tone matters. Now, before you get confused about what you think tone is, when I was a junior high boy and began to feel muscles that I didn't know I had, and began to get older, I can remember lifting weights in front of a mirror, thinking, look at that tongue. Lifting, lifting, working hard. I want Renee to marry Charles Atlas. Okay? For those of you that don't know what that name means, he was on the back of a comic book, and he looked at that tongue. He built himself up, okay? I'm not talking about muscle tone because there was a day when I always wanted to look in a mirror. I'm living in a day where I never want to look in a mirror. Are you with me? Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about tone when it comes to how we interact with each other. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if there were ever a day there needs to be a good tone, listen, coming from the mouth and heart of a Christian it should be now because the world is so confused about what Jesus looks like because they see one thing on Sunday and they hear a different thing Monday through Saturday. But yet Solomon has a word for us, for me, that I can apply and use in my life to help me be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today and grow from where I'm at this morning. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. 
If you have a pen, a pencil in your hand, there should be something close to you, in front of you, circle a soft answer. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this morning, the title of the message is simply, Let God Set the Tone for Your Summer and Your Life. Now, it just seems like yesterday we were in an 8.30 service in February. When we get here, it's completely dark. You wonder if anybody's coming to church. Ice cold. We're thinking, oh, Lord, send summer. God, send summer. We can't wait till the weather gets good. Here we are, right smack dab in the middle of it. It's here. And it's hard to believe it's July. But here we are. And this morning, if you're not careful, somebody else will set the tone for your summer, the rest of it. If you're not careful, somebody will set the tone for your life. If you're not careful, there'll be other people that set your schedule. There'll be plans made that you didn't know anything about. And if you're not careful before long, maybe the holiday like tomorrow comes and you become trapped by everybody else's plans. Have you ever been there? So what I'm asking this morning before we even begin is to consider letting God in the process of setting the tone of your life. Because I'm telling you, he knows what we need. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and a parent, a spouse, a sibling, maybe your boss, or even a friend who says something like this? I'm not sure I like your tone. You ever heard that? Probably if you've heard that, something's going on. Something's coming across that doesn't seem right. And a lot of times, it's a constructive comment uh, that you're walking on ground that you might regret. Um, it's, it's a tone. Let me give you an example. I, I don't have it in today, but not long ago, uh, I was having a problem hearing. Renee would say, yeah, it, it was, it's been a long time since you've had a problem hearing. But I was answering the phone here at church, and I could not intelligently translate what I was hearing out of my left ear. I turned it to the right, and I hear fine, but it was my left ear. Something was weird. Something was going wrong. So I went through all these allergy tests and then went to the ear doctor. And the ear doctor said, there's a problem. So I have two hearing aids that I don't have in this morning. And here's what I found out. That there are some tones that I can't hear that everybody else can. Now, if you, if you have a hearing device, you know exactly what I'm saying. That's why, that's why you take this test, this curve, this bell curve, and they see what are highs and lows and what decibels and all that. But I was finding out that there are some tones that I really struggle with to hear that everybody else can hear. For instance, the tone on the radio, on Renee's side of the bed, alarm clock. It's a high pitch. And a lot of times I, I lay there for a while before I finally get that there is something going off. 
but she hears it well. Now, don't tell her this. I just say that so I sleep later than she does. No, but, it's, but what are you saying, Brother Greg? Everybody can hear it but me. When you look at tone and how you respond to people, Solomon starts right off with it. A soft answer turns away wrath. And sometimes the tone that we project and how we respond to people, everybody else recognizes it but me. I don't see it. And I believe what we're asked to do this morning is to take a spiritual x-ray and ask God to say, Lord, do, am I like that? Am I like that? Um, years ago, I received an email, and, and contrary to your opinion, not all email to pastor's office is fan mail. I brought Trevor in and said, look at this. Is this me? I want you to tell me right now, is this me? Is this the way I am? Because if it is, I need to do some major changing. Folks, I'm telling you, sometimes when we look at our life, everybody sees something that's glaring, but we're blinded by the light. So Solomon says, let me address this thing about tone and how you respond to people. And I'm not acting like a, an expert this morning. There have been many times I failed this test but I want God to help me do better. And the instructions are how you respond often can either help how you go forward or it can hit the brake lights of whether or not you're even going to go another step. We become deaf to our own sin. I believe that's what we see in Proverbs 15. Example, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus knew what it was like to deal with religious people. Matthew 7, verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So why do you look at a brother's eye and see a speck, but do not consider a plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, there is a plank in your own eye. Jesus is reminding us that sometimes in life, we need to be reminded, instead of trying to fix everybody else, maybe God's trying to help me come around to be more like him. Uh, how many of you have been married 30 years or more sitting here today? Okay, a bunch of us, all right? Herschel York is a pastor in Kentucky, a teacher at uh, Southern Seminary. Uh, he, he wrote these words. In 34 years of marriage, the most frequent cause of arguments has been and remains not the terrible words I've used, but the tone of voice I used when I converse with my wife. The argument might go something like this. Okay, this is me, he says, entering the house at the end of the day, and I notice that things are not in place and the house is not as neat as it normally is. So I say, what have you done today? Some of you have been there. Her, my wife, taking great offense at the implication that she hasn't done anything when in fact she's kept the grandkids for four hours, spent time counseling, and has completed something I asked her to do. I cannot believe, she says, 
when you come home in the house and the first words to me would be so judgmental, you've got a lot of nerve. Me, Herschel response, acting shocked at her response and now completely changing my emphasis. What? All I said was, what have you done today? Is it wrong to ask you what your day has been like, dear? I'm telling you, every married couple knows exactly this conversation. And everything rise and falls on the tone that is received or conveyed. Tone conveys meaning, and sometimes even more than the words. Tone can completely overrule and alter the significance of the words. He goes on to say that tone can open hearts or close minds. So Solomon says in Proverbs 15, let me help you. A soft answer turns away wrath. Lifeway uh, Research says 90% of the friction of daily life often can be associated with tone of voice. Tone of voice. I would pray that as your pastor that I set the tone for the church. I hope so. I don't believe you'll ever be fired up about something I'm not fired up about. But I also believe that Marcia and Cody and Kasia and Amber, those in leadership, I also believe they set the tone for wherever they serve and those that work with them. This week in Bible school, we looked at two missionary families. One family was from Guatemala, Antigua, Guatemala. And uh, Dominic, do you remember their names? The White family, okay? Uh, David and Regina, and then they had two boys. In the White family's picture, missionary picture, it was just them four, just those four. We also looked at a family from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that relocated from New Orleans, the Rob Wilton family. Kind of an interesting backstory to the Wiltons. Uh, Rob's dad, Don Wilton, is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Spartanburg, South Carolina, and Billy Graham's membership was at First Baptist Church, Spartanburg, South Carolina. And uh, Don Wilton went to North Carolina on Saturdays and even wrote a book after Billy Graham passed away called Saturdays with Billy. It's really, it's really fascinating. Well, it's his son who planted the church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And in their family picture, there's a bunch, or there's a bunch of them. It's not just, it's not just the four of them. It's, it's, it's like a, they're surrounded by support. And the question that was asked from one of the kids, why do the whites only have four in their picture and the Wiltons have all these people in their picture? And we began to think it may be, maybe even it's more difficult for a family to serve on the foreign mission field. Not everybody goes. But obviously the Wiltons are rallied around by support here at home too. So you might perceive that Man, if you look at the tone, they don't have support, and they do. No, no, they have tremendous support. But God doesn't call everybody to go to the foreign mission field. Folks, when you think about responding, think about the rejection on the mission field. Where we come together today and 
preach the word of God and open the word of God and, and sing the songs of Zion and are pumped up about what Christ is doing, missionaries on a foreign field are praying that anybody would show up at their service, that they would meet somebody who would even be interested in hearing the gospel and the presentation and what Jesus wants to do in their life. We're reminded that there's a price to pay. And when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is a price to pay as a follower of Christ. And that is, you don't have the right to be ugly. You don't have the license to live in the flesh. You don't, you don't have authority to be mean to people. And Solomon says, there's something that will help you in your relationship with people, and that is learning how to respond with a soft answer. With a soft answer. Number one, if you have your uh, notes this morning, follow along with me. Here's the first thing. Tone is set by how you respond. Tone is set by how you respond. Now, sometimes the tone is set this way, and we can't control it. Things happen to us. Perhaps we've been hurt by somebody, a circumstance that we didn't see coming, or maybe it's just life, living life and trying to cope with it and deal with it the best we can. Tone is set by how we respond to those things in life. And let me tell you something, sometimes we respond like this. Are you ready? Are you sure? Sometimes we respond with criticism. We're always the critical voice. Sometimes we respond with sarcasm. Sarcasm is a tool that I often use in my own life, and I realize it's not healthy all the time, but sarcasm is just taking that little dig and that little bite, and you're saying it just loud enough to be heard because you want to bite somebody. It might come in mockery. It might come in condescending, cutting statements, and, and, and nobody knows it but you. And I'm telling you, that's not the kind of response Solomon's talking about in this passage. He says a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, the word soft here is where we get tender heart, tenderness. A tender answer. You see, someone who thinks about responding with a soft heart is somebody who thinks there could be more to it than I see. A soft answer turns away wrath. Circle the word wrath. When you see wrath, I want you to think of heat. I want you to think of anger. I want you to think of rage. Now, there's a big uh, uh, contrast here between a tender heart and a heart that's raging or an answer that's raging. The tender heart is symbolic in the, in the fact that there was a King Josiah in, in 2 Kings chapter 22, who was a very young king. And the Bible says because his heart was tender and he humbled himself before the Lord, that God blessed him. Because his heart was tender, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger, anger. And sometimes that all comes down to tone. A harsh word can be words of pain with no grace in them at all. 
And how I respond according to Solomon sets the tone for something that is to follow. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that sometimes we can get bit in church. Anybody want to say amen? Do you remember what happened to uh, Paul when he was shipwrecked on Malta? They finally made it to the island, and, and the natives were kind to him, and they built this fire. Do you remember what happened? A snake came out of the fire and bit Paul. And they, knowing that the snake was poisonous, were expecting Paul to die in an instant. And you know what Paul did? He shook it off. Can you, can you get the picture? And they thought he would swell up and die, but he didn't. They thought he was a god. And Paul said, hold it, wait, wait, wait. No, no, I'm here to proclaim the one. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Just because you get bit in church doesn't mean you have to die. Give me an amen on that. That's good. That's good. I, I, I really, I was thinking about that this week. I, I don't like it when preachers say, boy, that's good preaching. It sounds kind of arrogant. That's weird. But give me an amen on that. That was a good statement right there. Amen? You don't have to die. And, and, and that's the picture here. A soft answer will add to the environment. A harsh word can destroy it. And brothers and sisters, you and I have to realize that if we're going to respond with a soft answer, it has to come from the inside and it has to come from a heart of humility. Number two, humility. No greater picture of humility than the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater picture of humility than the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the world, who goes to Calvary and takes upon our death on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be forgiven and saved. I love the fact that when life gets tense, when things don't go my way, the situation gets a little testy, that God gives me an opportunity, he gives you an opportunity to make it either better or you get bitter. Number three, let's choose better every time over bitterness. Because he says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's an opportunity to make a decision how you're going to respond. Now, folks, don't lose me this morning, and don't let me confuse you. There comes a time when you have to stand on truth, and there, has, there comes a time often where you can't back down. Folks, we live in a culture that wants to push Christianity back and back and be quiet. Everybody else can say something, but Christians have no right to voice anything. But that doesn't give us a right to be ugly. You see, Brother Greg, I watch the news and I'm scared. If I were lost this morning and did not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I would run this morning to give my life to Christ. Why? Because the one who is the hope for the world in which everyone's looking is Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it. Listen, a Baptist church should be preaching the gospel. A Bible-believing church should be preaching the gospel, but the church doesn't save you. This is the kind of news I've been reading from preachers this week. Hang on. Oh, the church house has no place to put an American flag during worship service. 
We don't worship America. We don't worship the flag. And I'm, I'm saying, give me a break. Give me a break. Of course we don't worship the nation. We don't worship the flag. July 4th is the weekend to thank God for the flag and thank God for the nation. Uh, I love what one guy said. For all you young preachers thinking you're going to take the flag out of your worship service or your, your building and, and all of that, uh, let me know how your meetings with your people go Tuesday. You know what he's saying? You're getting ready to get some phone calls. It's an opportunity for us. It's an opportunity for us to thank the Lord. And, and I, do, I do not see a conflict in thanking God for the nation in which he lets us live. Now look at me. Look, I'm a baby boomer. I was born in 61. I think the end of the baby boomer year was around 64. So I'm an old baby boomer. When I say baby boomer, post-war, 45, 45 to 64, uh, all those uh, World War II uh, babies uh, were born, and, and so Brother Greg's a baby boomer. And folks, I was raised in a day, listen to me, that regardless of whoever the president of the United States is, that's our new president. That's our new president. And maybe instead of griping, we should continue to pray as the Bible tells us because if Scripture is right, and how many of you believe it is? Oh, I knew it'd get quieter out now. Then who is there is appointed. Well, no afterthought. God's not surprised. Maybe we need to look at the first part of verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath and quit trying to live a life where we think harsh answers are going to solve everything. Let us choose better every time because if we don't, we're going to be verse 1, part B. A harsh word stirs up anger. Um, you all have kids that are different. Even as they get adults, they're different. Uh, Sheila and I are different. Um, and she stirs the pot. Okay, are you with me? I am, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. I'll just be quiet. Are you guys with me? Stirring the pot sometimes can get you in trouble. Solomon, the wisest man in his day, said, I tell you, the tone in which you respond can set the tone for what's in front of you. You see, culture wants to fight. God wants to love. Culture wants us to hold a grudge, wants you to hold a grudge. God wants to extend grace. Culture wants, you, uh, wants to call you a hater if you disagree with anything. God wants you to stand on the truth. But you can stand on the truth, listen, with a soft answer. Because I believe a soft answer often represents kindness. Kindness. You know, one thing I've learned over the years, this will help you. Don't respond to criticism immediately. If I had a nickel for every time somebody in our church said, hey, we ought to be doing this. Hey, let's do this. Uh, my former church, don't give me that former church stuff. 
You're sitting in this one this morning. Okay? Listen, my favorite preacher is not in this church. And yours probably isn't either. But folks, we can't stay there. We've got to move into the new day. And the good news is, when we come together, one thing I've learned is you don't have to respond to things fast and quickly. Because when you do, most of the time it's emotional and you may regret what you type. So have some patience. And when you're ready, God will help you with a soft answer. Now, look at verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Have you ever had a parent or maybe a spouse or a teacher say, keep talking? Just, just go ahead and keep talking. You're digging a deeper hole every word you say. Okay? You see, the Bible says that knowledge is used rightly, and knowledge comes from the Word of God. The Word of God. So how we respond sometimes is a tool we use to make somebody feel less than us or maybe to make me feel more superior. Number four, stand up for your conviction, but you don't have to be ugly. You don't have to be ugly. You know what the Bible says? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We ought to thank God for his grace. We ought to thank God that he's allowing us to live in this day. We ought to be willing, listen, to throw the lifeline to anybody who will listen. All these boats that are coming through Camden going to the lake, I can assure you there's some things that they have in common even though they don't look alike. There's a life preserver on those boats or they're going to get in trouble if somebody stops by. And it has to be attached to something. It has to be attached to the boat. So when you throw it out, there's got to be something secure. And folks, I'm telling you, uh, as a believer, we're attached to the, to the word of God. Amen. It's the truth. And when you offer hope to somebody, there's a place to come. And it's into a relationship with Christ to be saved. I want to ask you a question. Can you stand up for your convictions without being ugly? Write it down. We've heard it. We've said it throughout this whole season. You mix religion and politics. You get politics every time. Write it down. And I love, I love when we were reading Isaiah 64 that, that Isaiah says, listen, we recognize there are no other gods. Every other god is little g, regardless of what you think. And you can trust him. And he is the source of truth. You know, we sing the song, glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. There's a song by the group Legacy Five written by Jim Brady entitled, The Truth is Marching On. It goes something like this. Some say his birth was of a virgin. Some think his miracles can be explained away. Some say that he was just a good man, even though he died, he wasn't really raised. Skeptics rise and speak the lies, truth is marching on, the truth is marching on. Down the corridors of time, invincible, divine, until all that's false is finally gone, the truth is marching on. Verse 2, there will always be cynics and scoffers. 
Our faith has always had its noisy enemies. They may rise up, but only for a moment. Yet we see evidence through the centuries that it's Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the life. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Folks, don't you, don't you think that you have to defend the Bible? The Bible will take care of itself. It's the living, infallible, breathing word of God that has the prescription for you to live eternally in heaven if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. Amen? I love Bible school, the fact that we normally see decisions. But one thing we have to be real careful of is just getting all those kids to raise their hand. Spoke to four families Friday night whose kids, four of those eight, made decisions. And I believe I spoke to four supportive families that are excited whose children had told them about their decision already. I love that. A soft answer turns away wrath. So he's talking about tone, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Number five, don't spend your life tracking everyone else's wrongs. Renee and I have that little app, uh, Find My People or something like that. Is that what it is? Find My Phone. It's, you know what I'm talking about. And I have two, I have two people on it, Renee and Stacy. I asked Drew if he wanted me to add him, and he said, no, I don't want you to add me. Okay. Why, why did I do that? I want to know where they're at. They ever need help. Okay? I want to be able to track them. Folks, you have enough responsibility yourself to take care of yourself than trying to take care of everybody else. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Quit being so critical. Listen, let's not ever make fun of somebody who's not a Christian. Because reality is, to die without Christ, we believe this Bible, the truth, talks about heaven and hell. And I think we flip through the obituaries sometime, and we look at them, we say, oh, that person was 90, what a great life. And look, that person died in their 40s, that's sad. Folks, I'm telling you, every person who dies is going somewhere. We've gotten over being saved. We forgot what it's like to be rescued out of the darkness and saved by the grace of God. And very seldom are you going to win a religious argument when it comes to differences in what somebody believes and what you believe. Well, I'm going to get tough with them. Well, you go ahead and get tough with them. You might lose a friend. But a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh response stirs trouble. Stirs trouble. Let's close with this. Verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Do you believe that? Keeping watch on the evil and the good. So God sees it all. He doesn't miss a thing. He knows what you need. He knows what I need. 
He sees every good deed you do, and he sees things that you should have done, and he sees bad things that we've done. God sees it all, but he doesn't throw us away. He lovingly wants to bring us near to him and say, would you trust me? Let me carry you. Number six, when it comes to grace, slow down, talk less, listen more. Slow down. I love Preble County. I love the pace of life. Did not like the pace of life on my way to Oxford yesterday behind the farm equipment. But it, re- it reminded me that we live in a slow down county. These guys are doing their job. This is what they do. Get used to it. Slow down. Some of you might be here today and God's saying, okay, your life is out of control fast. It's spinning. And you haven't even settled life's greatest question, and that is, you don't even know if you're going to heaven. Maybe you need to think about that today. Maybe you're here today and, and you're, you're thinking about everything in front of you this week. You know what I love about kids? And we saw it this week in Bible school. Kids think about the, nat, the moment. The moment. They had, to, they had to have 10 tickets the other night in order to, be, to get three balls to throw it to dunk Cody. And, one, and Cody, or Kobe, our grandson, was here, and he looked over at me. And I've never been so proud in my life. He looked over at me and said, Papa, I got 29 tickets. What, what do I do? What do I do if I, I want to throw nine balls? What do I do? What do I do? I said, when you get up there, you say that Papa said you could come. That's what you tell him. You say, Papa said you could do it. You see, one day, we're going to stand before holy God. Jesus said I could come. Jesus said I could come. He said, if I would believe in him, place my faith in him, I could be saved. And I believe every Christian in here today Should we not thank the Lord this July 4th weekend for saving us? And folks, before before you wring your hands and think that the country is never going to amount to anything, and and I'm telling you, I don't care who's the president, it's not going to get better before Jesus comes. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's about 11 till 12. We're going to stand and we're going to have an invitation. I wonder if anybody in this crowd needs to be saved because if you do, you can within the next few minutes give your life to Jesus Christ. Let's all stand.